0: Welcome to the Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. The Football Coaching Life is our opportunity to listen and gain insight from some of Australia's best male and female coaches, the people we entrust to develop our players and teams and look after the future of our game. We're absolutely honoured and it's a great pleasure today to invite Socceroos and Olly Roos coach Graham Arnold. Now, Graham needs no introduction, albeit it's Probably unfair if we don't pump up his tyres a little bit. No, nah, you don't need to,
1: Coley. <laughs> Come on, we've known each other too long for that.
0: But Arnie had a great, um, a great career as a player, both in the um, old NSL, with, with significant careers in Holland over a couple of occasions in Belgium, and then well over sixty, seventy games for the Socceroos across a range of different coaches. And I, and I really want to talk about that. And then an incredible journey as coach of the Olly Roos, as coach of the Socceroos. With good stints as assistant coaching through there as well, and on the the whole point of this show is really to talk about not about games or, or tournaments mm. per se, but about your journey. And maybe we start by going: how how does a how does a senior national coach and Ollie Ruse coach deal with a, a year of COVID where you actually can't play and train games? Yeah,
1: look, I think, uh, you know well, from the outside, I always try to be positive with every type of. Uh, occasion, in every type of occasion, Collie. And, and, you know, I try to use this pretty much mentally as a half-time break. And, you know, I've been coaching now for 13 years and, you know, coaching is stressful and it's, and it's full on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having a half-time break now using COVID as a, as an excuse and a reason, and then get ready for another 13 years and take me through to the late sixties. And, uh, and then uh retire uh very happily, but uh you know, I had the experience a little bit uh, of being in a bubble, and I have to say uh, I'm not sure I'd really like that either so yeah. to be able to uh you know sit back a little bit. we're monitoring players the whole time over in Europe, and uh obviously talking a lot with the with the boys overseas, and the most important thing when it gets down to the international side of things there's certain things that we can't control, and that is the physical side of a player, um, the the tactical side of things is that 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 only happens when they come into camp. Um, uh, the technical side they have, that's why they're soccerers. So really, it's a mental side that we've got to get right when they come into camp and and while they're at their clubs. As long as they keep working hard and playing a lot of minutes, then you know the type of culture that I believe in and and, and built is that uh, once a family gets back together, it's like we never left each other. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's what it is, and we've got to get on with it.
0: How, how's your use of Zoom developed over the over this period?
1: Well, actually, to be honest, my
0: technology has improved out of sight.
1: I've actually worked out how to use Zoom as well as Teams. Now to have them on one computer, it's a miracle. <laughs> so, I've been uh, yeah, plenty of meetings, plenty of meetings on these Zoom. I, I, I'll be honest with you, Col- uh Coley. I don't like, like them. I prefer face to face. Uh, conversations with people and, and and players and and that and, uh, and you in and that way then you can really get the energy you see the energy from the people when you are face to face but it is what it is uh, and, and we've just got to get on with it.
0: Yeah, Arnie, you, you obviously you've got the Socceroos and Oli Roos, In addition to that, you've been giving uh, Trevor Morgan, who's the new um, national TD, a hand in in looking at games for youngsters and and the planning going forward How, how's what what are the things that have really stood out for you through this time that you've had the opportunity to look at well you know what
1: uh, i really believe that in you know when there is a crisis then you could there's a reason to use it and uh and you have an opportunity to change things and i just i do believe that this covid as bad as it is and as horrendous it's been on so many people and families And I I just on the sporting side, on our on our football side of things, I think it's come at a perfect time that we've had this break in the game and been able to really sit down and have a real good look at where we're at. Because I have to say, when I left in two thousand and ten, the national teams um, it it was it was well set up and things were you know very professional. And uh, but when I I have come back in two thousand and eighteen and I walked in as a soccer coach. And, you know, there was an Olympic campaign about to begin in January, gen- in qualifier, sorry, in, in March. And then, you know, I came in in September, October, and we didn't have a coach. It's quite hard to believe that you can just get a coach that can come in and then work for two weeks with uh, a group of players, a bunch of strangers, and expect to uh, expect to get results. Yeah. And Asia's Asia's getting tougher and tougher every year. So, you know, I think one of the things was I just uh, I looked at that and just instantly, you know, because of life experiences in coaching and because of, you know, the past where we played together in the middle 80s and, <laughs> and all that type of stuff, that I started looking back at what we used to do. What yeah. did we do that made our players great? And so I, I did a report uh with my analysts it took 3 months uh, we call it the performance gap and it was about giving some uh knowledge to James Johnson and the board but also to look at where things had gone wrong and uh it was quite horrifying reading when you mm-hmm. look at it and and it's a, it's a complete just lack of opportunity for the kids Australian kids and uh so therefore, it's, it was something that uh, I devoted a lot of time of, uh, on in during COVID, speaking to the state federations and speaking to a lot of people about what I believe we needed to do and how we needed to take this opportunity of COVID, with, with no activity, to get the the structure right or to change things to make things uh, more uh, more for more opportunities for kids to get them to be able to play football to create the next golden generation
0: yeah and it, it, it's almost like arnie um with the end of last season and, and the hub or, or bubble whatever we called it um with the whole covid thing the the blessing that has come of this is that one there's more australian coaches coaching in the Hyundai a league right now um, and there's probably more yep. young talented young players getting more game time than at any time in the last 10 years
1: 100%. And, and this has happened by a coincidence. Mm. And we've got to stop that. It can't be a coincidence that because COVID hit and because there was a cut in the salary cap and because foreigners couldn't get out here or whatever. You know, it, it wasn't done with a, a strategy in place. But now I think everyone's seeing it and, and, and looking at it and saying, okay, these Aussie kids, they're good. They give them an opportunity. They're great, you know. And we, we do live in a country where we've only got eleven professional clubs, so there is limited opportunities for the for the kids in the A League. The MYL eight games of football in one season, like it's 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 crazy that you'd even think of of having a competition. I don't call it a competition. I call that a tournament. Yeah. Because there's only eight games in twelve months. And when you when you start looking at the overall sport. Of football in this country, right from grassroots all the way up to professional, it's big bash football. And I say that in a way that, you know, you play NPL clubs, NPL won nearly all around Australia, 22 rounds. Mm. NYL, National Youth League, eight games. A League, 26 games. We're nowhere near playing enough football as a sport, yeah. let alone giving kids an opportunity to to have great football careers by giving them more opportunities when we only have 11 professional clubs in the whole country.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, enough with current affairs. Let's start to talk about your coaching journey. <laughs> you, um, how did you get into coaching? How, were you, did you stumble in? Were you pushed in? Did you jump in with two feet? Was it always something you wanted to do?
1: It's funny, Coley, you know, it's, uh, it's probably something I didn't really set out to do. Um, I was playing in Japan at the time, uh, under Eddie Thompson. I was 30, I think it was 34, 35 at the time. And I didn't really have a, have a, my mind set on coaching, but I got offered an opportunity from, uh, Remo Novaroto and, and Northern spirit to be player coach. So if I can just say that, um, before I go into all that, I probably am a very, very good example of doing my coaching career completely the wrong way, (laughs) upside down. Being a player coach was really difficult Mm. and my management skills were poor. My, everything that I was doing as a coach was poor, but I managed to be able to lead a team uh, on the field with my leadership as a player and, and being on the pitch as a player to, to to help them, you know, play play well. But everything else about it was wrong. And I learned, uh, I, I, when I was a uh, player coach here for a year and a half, two years, um, I fell, I, I really felt that I didn't want to coach after that experience, Northern Spirit. Uh, then Frank Farina got the national team job. And he rang me up and uh, said, listen, I, I would, I'd love you to be my assistant. Um, and I then became assistant to the soccerers. And I thought that would suit me more. That would suit me better <laughs> yeah. just being an assistant, not having the pressure of coaching. And what I probably learnt in that period of time under Frankie and, and uh, uh, before he, he moved on was, you know, with international football was, yeah, I do love the game. And I do feel that I've got something to offer, but I really had to change my ways as a coach. Um, And, and because as a player, you know what it's like as a player, you just think of yourself. You just think, okay, I've got to be fit. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And I want to be on the pitch and I want to play. And so you just think of one person. I wasn't used to thinking of other people and so as an assistant coach, being there, being half mate, half coach, being a good cop, bad cop type thing, that uh, that sort of suited me. And and probably then with Gus Hiddink, uh, working with Gus, he taught me probably more in um, 12 months than I probably could have learnt in 10 years. And he was just, his attention to detail, um, the way he planned everything was just, I felt like, <laughs> I was building a house or something because he used to say all the time, listen, we've got to get the footings, right. We've got to get the footings, right. Then we can put the slab down and then we can put the walls up and then, you know, you can't think about the roof. Now we've got to think about the footings and, and he, and he used to say it in that way that it was, it was really good. And so, okay. So he's again, his attention to detail was fantastic. Tactically fantastic. Um, man management, I'll say not that great. At that time He was fantastic to me And you probably have heard Some of the soccer boys say That he never really communicated with them But that was his way Of getting the best out of him Because he was only there for a short time Because he was coaching PSV I know him at the same time Mm. But the one I learnt a real lot from Was Pim Babak And Pim was was Such a gentleman And for uh, Pim It was all about communication It was all about You know um, talking to the players, making sure they're okay when they're at their clubs, communicating with them, even with a text message: "How are you? Is everything okay?" And you know, when they am working with them, that uh, it was uh, all about the team. So that was that. Took me to 2010, and then you know, I did the Olympic team. But I will say just quickly, Coley, Cole, my best my best lesson I ever learned was the 2007 Asian Cup. I stuffed that up big time, <laughs> and I i knew I had, but what I tried to do, because I hadn't worked with Hus, uh, with, with Pim, was I tried to manage the, the Hus hitting way, yeah. and that was very rigid, very hard, very, you know, the communication with the players, it was you know, not, and I didn't deal with, I, I, I didn't have the power to deal with the big boys, and, and so... Well, there's they're all lessons in life, and and you know, but uh, it was a, a good journey that 10 years of learning.
0: Arnie, did you did where where did your formal coach education come into all this? Wh- when did you get your first coaching license?
1: Oh, geez, I think uh, in probably the late 90s, I would have had my A license, um, and then. Uh, I was on the first pro license course here in this uh, in Australia for Asia.
0: Yeah.
1: And I did my uh Europa uh, European a European UEFA A license in in Europe in in London. So you know, it's uh you know, it's always something like it's like driving a car, you've got to get that license to be able to to be able to be a coach, but the the coaching courses that I did were were very good and, and it was great to be there with a lot of players, ex-players and and people of my generation to do that.
0: The, the uh, I went through today, because of your career as a player um, with the Socceroos, um, uh, obviously your time in Holland, your time uh, with the national teams, the the Oliroos and the Socceroos, um, Frank Herrick played a significant part of your Socceroos journey. Eddie Thompson would have been there. You would have finished yeah. with Terry Venables. Yeah. You've mentioned Goose. You've mentioned Pim. Um, I know you're good friends with Ronnie Smith along the journey. I'm not quite yeah. sure how how Ronnie, what influence Ronnie's played on that journey. But is there have you learned from all of those people, or is is there one particular one that's had the most significant influence on you as a player or a coach?
1: No, look, I, I've learned from every one of the coaches I've had right through my whole playing career. You talk about Frank Arrock, and and he was a, a, a marvelous coach, and and really gave me an opportunity in life. And he was one that believed hugely, as you know, in young kids. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about a guy there who was coaching the soccer A-team, a B-team in St. <laughs> George at once, and you think, how the hell did he do that? And, but he's passion. And so you take away, what I took away from Frank Arrock was you needed to be fit to be at a top level yeah. because he trained us extremely hard in 1988 before the, uh, the Olympics uh and, and the World Cup qualifiers. He mentally he got into your brain and he made you feel ten foot tall mm. before you went on the pitch because he always never feared the opposition. It was we were as good as the opposition. He saw something in us that other coaches didn't see and that was that we were physically strong and fit and we had a, a hard working mentality that we could beat any team in the in, in the world. Um you know, and even play, even coaches I played under, Eric Gerrits in Belgium. You know, is a, was a, a fantastic coach. Uh, Wim in, in when I was in Holland, was a fantastic coach as well. But I also I get out, and you know, I, I'm quite close with Wayne Bennett. I get on very well with Wayne Bennett in Rugby League, and Trent Robinson at, at the Roosters, and I've been to see John Normeyer and, and Kevin Cheedy, and because coaching is the is all the same. Yeah. It's, the sport might be different. The rules might be different. The ball might be a different shape, but coaching is all the same. So to be able to move around and, and, and speak to those type of coaches in this country, uh, you learn a lot from everybody. And it's at the end of the day, you have your own style and on, on coaching, but it's what you, what you learn from other coaches that you, that you think will fit into your style and being flexible in your thinking makes all that happen
0: you're listening to the football coaching life brought to you by football coaches australia and making media the podcast professionals today's guest is Socceroos and oliver's coach graham arnold we're we're blessed to have arnie with us today wandering down memory lane and, and right now talking about the the coaches that have influenced him as a player and as a coach um, and you've done a great job here, Arnie, you? as you've gone on. You've, pre, you've sort of, I'm sure I must have given you my questions, because you've answered all my questions in, av- in, in advance here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I It's a quick podcast. <laughs> I love I'll ask you some questions. Uh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing to learn here. Um, the, what is coaching?
1: Well, coaching's teaching. Coaching's my view, the way I like to manage uh, coachings like being a father to, to, to those kids or to those players and and you know I think that the old days of probably just coaching of being a very good coach on the football pitch and having great training sessions, great tactics, that's now probably a tenth of the job mm. and you know, it's not long ago I did a coaching wheel. I was at home during COVID and I just started thinking about things. I read a great book on, on uh, you know, and that's what I have been doing through COVID is looking at where I can improve as a yeah. coach and reading books about, you know, the mental side of things and, uh, you know, the subconscious mind and the wording, the affirmations that you're saying to players and all those type of things that, that really can, you know, goes into the, the player's brain. But you know the coaching these days is again is just not about football. That's probably one. If I if I say said like this, if you have got a, a pizza, and you put eight slices in pe- the, that pizza, it's all about trying to get all those pizzas sizes, slices sorry, the same size, and you know, and each each slice of that pizza could have six or seven pieces to that subject, and and. It, and it goes from coaching to the, to the training sessions, the tactical side and your style to recruitment Now recruitment's a big part of, of, of success. Recruiting yeah. the right. Now, people will say first and foremost, recruit the right players we recruit the right players. Well, I believe in recruiting the right people, because if you have the right staff that are very good at their job, but they're the right people, then they are your brothers. You can trust them like brothers. And in this, in, in the caper of coaching, This is something that needs to be very strong. It's a trust that you have in your staff that if one day you can't turn up for training, or one day you're sent off and you're up in the grandstand or you're ill, that everything goes normal. It's clockwork. And that's the way I I like to do it now. you know, And then it goes to politics and being able to deal with politics in the boardroom, in the dressing room, crises. How do you deal with a, a, a dressing room crisis with a player? How do you deal with a boardroom crisis, a fan crisis, a media crisis. And then it goes into media, how you deal with media. Now, probably five years, four years ago, my my slice of the pizza for media was, you know, from <laughs> quarter past three to about 18 past three. <laughs> and, and I had to do a lot of work. And I, I went and, and had, you know, some great chats with people about that, on how to deal with, you know, making myself better in public but yep. also on the media side and how to deal with media. So there's, prob- there's now there's not just a matter of just turning up and coaching. And, and when I say that, as I said, turn up, whistle in the hand, go on the pitch, great training session, great game plan. Because the, the way players are these days and people are these days is that it's all about the brain. It's all about the mind. It's how you get into their mind. It's how you get them to perform. Because if players don't want to do it it's like anybody if someone wakes up in the morning and they don't want to go to work or they don't want to walk down the street or they don't want to drive they're not going to do it or they're not going to do it with passion and so to get players happy and to get them to come into training to to with a lot of energy and and you know and, and enjoying what they're doing is is the most important thing
0: yeah Arnie you um you well, your first stint with the Socceroos you you ended up back in the a-league with um uh, god i mental blank there um with <laughs> central coast with the mariners of course uh, and then uh, sydney fc winning championships and premierships of both of those place. What what's the difference for you coaching the the national teams where you see the players so irregularly and and the joy uh, hopefully of of working with players at clubland um, each and every day
1: well,
0: the the biggest
1: thing I miss is the day to day work with the players and uh, when you're with the player day to day you build relationships you 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 build trust you you build you know a real good camaraderie and you know when i like for example when I was at the mariners for me at the mariners it was all about the underdogs and it was about giving the players a belief to to create something special. And team spirit, for me, the team spirit, the team is number one, not the player. The individual has to come second in this. Then, it's about the person. And once you get the, that, that relationship right with the person, the player, so for me, the person is number one, the player is number two. Once you get that right, the player will automatically become number one. Because you know, uh, to to help the players and to get the players and help them become uh, have great careers is obviously something that is special for them. You're doing it for them, but also, then you get rewarded at the end. When probably that first year I was at the Mariners, I wanted to prove everyone wrong. It was all about me, right? And I'm I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, right? I, know. I appreciate. it. And it was like, yeah, I went from. I coached the Olympic team. We qualified in 2008. I was assistant to PIM. I was still copping, uh, smashing from the 2007 Asian Cup. And, you know, I wanted to go back to club football, and it was all about proving everyone else wrong. And I got it right by the second year. Well, you know, the first year we got the grand final. We got beaten the grand final penalty shootout yep. uh, against Ange up there in Brisbane. And then the second year I started feeling, I don't want to be like this person anymore. I don't want to be this, you know, hard on people. I'm not that type of person in real life. Yeah. I want to be that person I am in real life. And as I said, I then started leaning more towards more the supportive way, the coaching, teaching way, and being there to help every individual personally and professionally. And I probably nailed it when we couldn't, they couldn't afford the Mariners at that time to pay our wages for a few weeks. And I paid, Myself, I paid for the, the lawnmower to put petrol in it, to cut the, ground, <laughs> the grass at the ground, and I paid some of the boys rent. Yeah. And what they returned me with was, what I got back from that was just enormous. Mm. And they would run through brick walls for me. And then we ended up obviously winning the competition and, and, you know, doing something that that club would never have thought they could have achieved.
0: So three years you finished in the top two um, each year? Um, premiership Championship And and You know Nowhere near the budget That you then rolled into With Sydney FC hmm. Did do, do you Yeah do you... look I think
1: it, it was It's always about The identity of the club And, and what the club Expects or wants So when I went, went In the Central Coast Mariners We had a chairman Peter Turnbull And Peter Turnbull Come and met me And said Arnie I want you to come And coach the Mariners uh, But we need to su- sell to survive. I don't care if you don't win the competition. What I, what I want you to do is help develop kids, which I know you're passionate about. And if we win the competition with them, fantastic. If we don't, long as we sell players and you're open to selling players, developing players so we can sell them so we can survive the Central Coast Mariners because we don't have those budgets that other clubs have. So. I was using the bottom of the salary cap, and Laurie McKenna before me did a great job. Uh, honestly, great job in the recruitment. Yeah. So when I walked in, in the in the youth team, Bernie Abini, Mitchell Duke, Maddie Ryan, Mustafa Amini, uh, Anthony Caseras, list goes on.
0: Yeah.
1: They were already there, but it was then I was sort of put in a position by the chairman at the time of, uh, well, these kids need to be given a go. And we need to try and sell. Then we got Tommy Rogic come up. So, but the the most important thing for me then was, okay, great. And it's like now with the kids playing in the A-League. It's, it was about giving the kids the opportunity. But I had you, you have to get the blend right, the mix right. You can't just have 10 young kids on the pitch and one older player or 10 old, one young. It was about getting the blend. So yeah. we had some five, four or five young kids on the pitch. And then you had the Alex Wilkinsons. Hutchinson's, McBreen, uh, Patrick Zarnswijk, Josh Rose, some older players around them that could be mentors to them and then on match day out on the pitch be there to support them.
0: Yeah. When you, when you um, finally moved on up to Sydney FC, obviously a big club, more pressure, more expectation, maybe closer to the, the similar sort of feel of being in and around the national teams. How did, did did you notice that? Did you feel that there was a difference when you when you moved on that there was a a, a, a more significant um, expectation of you?
1: Oh yeah, of course. And and again, it's like when I walked into Sydney FC, uh, I sat in the boardroom and Scott Barlow and the board said, "We don't need to sell players. We need to win trophies. <laughs> it's all about winning trophies. It's, it's we don't sell. You know, we've just had Del Piero here. Del Piero was probably it was my first decision at Sydney, <laughs> of whether to stay or let him go. Yeah. And I just felt I went and had a look at their facility. I looked at how they were working with it. And I I went and met some players that I knew before I actually took the job to see, okay, what's the environment, what's the dressing room and, and, and all that like. And Del Piero had his own dressing room. And I'm thinking, how can you have a team with someone that has their own dressing room? Yeah, And uh, so what was important for me was that, was reconnecting. I I inherited a squad uh, from, and you always do that with, Mm. uh, when you take over teams and, and it was all about, you know, getting the senior players on side and telling them what we wanted and how it was going to work. And then, and then, you know, at Sydney at the time, at the training facility, I didn't even have a coach's office. And, you know, I was like, come on, there has to be an office where we can have private conversations. We put a wall up uh, through the middle of the building there. To have a coach's office. And then it was about getting the resources right and then having getting the chef in and having breakfast and lunch available because those type of things really build team unity because players then will turn up earlier and they'll start communicating more, you know, before training, after training, compulsory lunch, breakfast wasn't, but compulsory lunch. And then they're all sitting there still at three o'clock in the afternoon having a laugh, playing cards and doing all that stuff, which then builds a great team environment. But the expectations of Sydney was obviously much higher. But again, I always believed that in myself first and foremost, but if you get the the main things right of what you can control, you know, you can't control many, many things in coaching outside of that dressing room and outside of that environment. So most important thing for me was, again, I go back to the wheel was, Recruitment, recruitment of very good staff, recruitment of people I could trust and knew that they would work hard and they were great at their jobs. And then even with player recruitment, again for me, the first thing I in in a play, when I recruit a player, I can watch him on TV, I can watch him on the uh, watch him live. You know, I can watch a highlights reel of him, and I can see he's a good player. But for me, the most important thing is what's he like as a person. Yeah. And if that and getting that right. And the first thing is, like I'd said to Milos Ninkovic, okay, when you come out to Australia, if you come out, if I don't play play you, how are you going to react? Uh, well, I'm here for the team coach. I will work hard at training, and you know, it, then if I don't play, I must have, there must be a reason I'm not playing, and I'd like to speak to you about. Okay, if you know, if Bobo, if you don't score, or if Matty Simons playing and you don't, sc- and you're on the bench, and he scores, how do you, how will you react? I just want the team to win, coach. So once they start answering just a few of those yeah. questions, then you see what type of person they are, and, and then you see straight away they come out with their families and they're brilliant people, got great families, and, and they fit into the family environment that, uh, for me, is so special at clubs in club football.
0: You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Today's guest is Graham Arnold and we're having a, a great walk down memory lane with some great knowledge and wisdom that Arnie's is sharing Graham can I continue with Sydney FC um, yep. I, I'm, I know at that time I think you brought in uh, Mike Conway from X Venture yep. and, and really started to work in and around players minds and their thinking was that a first for you um, and, and I know that rolled also into the Socceroos yeah, uh, yeah. later how, how did that come about and what were the well, benefits?
1: I looked, uh, I went away, I had one bad season in the A-League. That's one time I, the only time I didn't make the top two uh, or, or win it, and that was we came seventh and we missed the top six. And I was more focused on that year, the Champions League. And, <clears throat> you know, I got that wrong. Yeah. So, another lesson. Um And, uh I just sat, sat down one day and I, I started thinking about the, f- the four main pillars in, 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 in life and in football and technical, tactical, physical, mental, and obviously there's the set piece side of things, man management, all that. But I then started thinking, well, there's only one thing that I think that at this moment I can't really be good at, and that is the mental side. tactically. I think my game plan most times gets a result or works. I'm I'm flexible. I'll change it if it's not working. And and that's the technical side. Yep. The training sessions, I think, and the players will all say that they're enjoyable and they're good. And, and, and the physical side, I had Andrew Clark doing that. and, And I know that he always gets the players extremely fit and healthy. And then I started thinking about the mental side and, and that decision probably changed me completely as a person and, and changed me as a coaching is that when you have quality players, which I believed we had in, in the year that we come seventh, we still had good players. They can't lose their quality and their talent overnight. Yep. And so there has to be something that's not right. So it's either you look and again, whenever something's not right, the first uh, we lose, the first thing I do is look in the mirror at myself and what I did that week. And did I do the wrong thing myself? <clears throat> and we had players that were Milos Dimitrovic and Tavares and Jacques Svarty, who played in the French, top division in, in, in top league in France and in Turkey and top players, Alex Brosk and, and Philip Holosko, very good players. How can you underperform? How can you underachieve with mm-hmm. that team? And and I went back and I looked at a lot of the things that I did during that year, and and I just felt that, if anything, mentally I didn't get into their brains. I I wasn't stimulating them enough, and <clears throat> players don't like to, you know, they don't like to go to a coach and say, oh, you know, only I've you know my my wife's sick or my girlfriend's not well or I'm having trouble at home in the relationship. They don't want to, uh, or they're not feeling right injury-wise. They're never going to, every time you say to a player, how do you get a uh, such, how do you feel today? They all say, great. Yeah, They all say, great. So it was more about then getting someone. I didn't really, at the the time, want a psychologist. I wanted someone like an emotional intelligence coach that could help build a team identity of what what the team stood for as a group of people. And also about someone that could communicate with them if they didn't feel comfortable coming to me. Um, and it worked great. Oh, it it worked. Did. It worked great. And Mike, uh, Mike uh, did that role very well with the players. Um, we built a, a very good uh, team identity. We ended up uh, doing a jigsaw puzzle of that identity. There was twenty-three pieces in it. One one time, David Carney slipped up. I pulled one piece out, it on the floor, and said, "We're broken. You know, we we we've lost one."
0: Yeah.
1: And everyone's looking, and you know, not and he apologised for his behaviour. Put the piece back in. Right, we're back together. Off we go. And uh, but it's it's uh, yeah, it, it's something that is for me is so special now in elite sport because of social media. Yep. You know, I I don't do it, social media. I don't look at it. I don't know how to use it and I uh, and I don't want to. So but young people these days well they're addicted to it and they, yeah. they get affected by it badly. And when you see sometimes players looking at their phones at half time and that to see what people are thinking about their first half performance that's when you start thinking okay well I need to get I don't have that time to to uh, designate so much time on looking at all that so I've got you know, I've got 23 players to keep happy. I've got a whole staff. I've got the board, I've got. And so that's why I made that decision. I've learned a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and with the national team, you know, it's, it's, I'm in touch with the players all the time and communication and, and that is the key. And, you know, Danny Vukovic, for example, just quickly, is, you know, he went through a period when he came to Sydney of his son uh, had to have a liver transplant.
0: Yeah.
1: Now I'm just saying how I would have been before compared to <laughs> what, what i am now and was then but it probably i would have uh, uh, what i would have been like in 2010 when it was all about me and you know we've got to win we got to win we know if his son is ill well don't come stay home just don't come
0: yeah.
1: you know where up with danny with uh, at the older uh, when, when 2017 and 18 and he was marvelous i said you train when you want to train if you don't want to play, you don't need to play. We understand your son is the most important thing in life. So you do what you want. And, and you can train with John Crawley at whatever time you want. You don't need to be here, mate. We, we will, we, we love you. We know how good you are. Just look after your son. Yeah. He slept on the floor in the hospital for six weeks. He turned up to training a couple of times a week. He flew in and out match day which is totally against sports science. He flew in <laughs> and out match day to play the game. And in the six weeks that he was he was doing that, we conceded one goal.
0: Remarkable.
1: And he played unbelievable. But his gratitude to what we allowed him to do paid us back.
0: And because of that nature, that wasn't impacting the thinking or it wasn't impacting the culture because the culture was that you know, we're as strong as one another and we're yeah. going to do what needs to happen to get the job done and understand Yeah, we're, a,
1: fam- we're a family. We, we, we respect each other. We're brothers. Yeah. And everyone in life has, in my view, in football and, and everything, is there's two families. There's one you have at home and there's one that you work with. And if that environment's right, well, then you will go the extra yards. You'll do that extra more to help each other, which is, which is a key
0: you've had some wonderful experiences and and i just love that 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 story is just um uh, just just hits the spot uh, and maybe your motivation changed but why do you do it why are you still coaching there's this stupid <laughs> drug in my body and
1: it's called football <laughs> i just love it it's just you know i said i said to my wife uh in 2010 when i was you know going into coaching back at the Mariners, I said, you know, my wife often says to people, he's married to football and he's having an affair with me. <laughs> and I think that's a really good way of her putting it. Because uh you know, you just gotta you you've just got to have that passion to do it, you know, and and it's just such a brilliant sport and it's just given me, you know, such a great life. And, you know, I remember saying to the Mariners boys, kids up there I'll judge my performance on how many millionaires I make. That's my job, is to make you boys millionaires. There's a plenty of them. I'm still waiting for the beer. <laughs> uh, they, they said they'd buy me, but uh, there's plenty of them. But it's, it's, just, it's just given me such a great life. And, and if I could give another 50 kids the life I've had over the next 10 years, I'll be delighted. Yeah. For me, that's what it's about.
0: Terrific. Changing tack just a little bit, the the your relationship with the media. You've you've experienced being appointed as a coach, being sacked as a coach, national team jobs taken away, um, being smashed around by the media. How important has it been for you to develop resilience as a coach?
1: Yeah, that's uh, you've got to have thick skin. Uh, very thick skin. Um, I don't. I don't read newspapers. I read the English newspapers crazy, but I don't, uh, I couldn't tell you what they're writing or what they're saying because I learned a long, long time ago uh, when I was a player that, you know, half of them probably don't Yeah. not even kicked a ball in their life yeah. themselves and they have a job to do. And so I have to respect in the last number of years, as I said, that slice of the pizza it 's got bigger because i 've learned that I know that they 've got a job to do, and they're all ninety nine percent of them are all good people they 've just got a job to do, and their job is to feed their family, their job is to look after their family and they 've got to write headlines and create headlines so and if I'm that headline and they can get the money and they've got a job and and that well that's 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 the way it is but you 've got to have thick skin you've got you 've got to be able to cop criticism. You've got to be able to walk away from people if they say something in the street to you, you just laugh at them and walk away. And, and that's that's just part of coaching. But uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. Because yeah. I, to be honest, I don't think I've really ever had anyone come up to me, right up to my face and say, you know, give me a, a mouthful yeah. <clears throat> about, you know, me as a player, as a coach. You know, it's it's, it's just the way life is. But everyone has an opinion. And you in the old days, as you know, Coley, there was four opinions, SBS and three newspapers. <laughs> hey, now everyone's got social media, everyone's got... Everyone's
0: an expert. So what can you do? You, you touched on uh, managing up earlier on in the conversation, and I just wonder how important you found that and, and how you've changed in your capacity to... You know, you lead the players. You're, you're the boss. In in some instances, in some cultures, that the coach is the boss, and that's the way it's looked up. But how have you grown and developed in terms of managing up, managing the CEO and the board and the chairman?
1: Yeah, first of all, I, I don't let the I've never let the players call me gaffer or the boss. Yeah, it's Arnie and I'm there to help. I'm not there to, you know, rule with fear or to scare them or or you know to dictate to them on what this has to happen and this needs to, first and foremost I'm there to to support and help them become great players or and great people um managing up I found that the best way to manage up is making yourself attend and be available for for board meetings you know and because sometimes you know the truth doesn't get to the board or the truth doesn't get to the chairman, it stops halfway. And then the board hear a completely different story. And if there's any type of uh, incidents that do occur, it's always they get second or third hand information. So at Sydney, for example, I used to invite myself to board meetings, you know, once a month, I'd go there, sit down. If they had any questions for me, no problem at all, any right, wrong, I'd tell them, uh and being honest is is the most important thing so to have communication with the board is i think is is very very important because mm-hmm. as i said if you don't communicate with them they they don't get to know you if you don't they don't get to know you they just judge you as you know an isolated person and and they make decisions on what other people are saying about you not what they know about you so you know going to board meetings there, i do you know i've been to a couple of board meetings at FFA yeah. as well, because, again, I want them to hear from me. If they have any issues, I want to be the one to tell them. I'd rather, again, not to be second-hand news.
0: Oh, I love it. What have been your most enjoyable moments as a coach? Um, most enjoyable moments as a
1: coach is every game you win. <laughs> you know, I love, well, I'm, I'm just a winner. I just... <laughs> You know, if I lose, if we lose, I can't sleep for two nights and two days and, uh, you know, I'm grumpy and I don't, you know, but I, I did learn a very good lesson from goose hitting and that was when you win, you can be grumpy and when you lose, you've got to be happy. Completely opposite because the players know they've lost and you've got to pick them up quickly and straight away and get on with the next game. But uh, what makes me happy is just the sport and just being involved and just being able to do uh, do what I do and, and being on the field and coaching kids, I just, you know, I really got so much joy out of coaching that Olympic team this year, this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, this time last year in Thailand and working with Australian kids, you know, it's, uh, I had an offer to go to South Korea just not long ago and my gut just wouldn't let me go because I just didn't want to let down, mm-hmm. you know, these kids that I've started at this journey with, with the Olympic boys. And with the Socceroos boys that, uh, you know, what's going to be in front of us is going to be quite uh, obviously different and difficult. But I'm there to help. I'm there to, you know, help those kids uh, fulfill their dreams.
0: Love it. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. We're with Graham Arnold, Socceroos and Olly Roos coach right now. And Arnie, we're on the uh, we're on the home straight here. A couple, couple of questions to go before we before we let you go. No I, d- problem. I did notice today that you've got a street named after you called Arnold's Pla- Arnold Place in Glenwood. What, what's that like? Is it a bit like a ship? Do they, do they sort um, of throw a bottle of champagne at it and launch it, or did it just happen without you being there?
1: No, no, I was uh, I was there, but I think it was a drain. Put, <laughs> uh,
0: my street ended up the drain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's where the sewer goes Straight down <laughs> It's a sewer part Of the, of the, of the uh, community oh. uh, it's uh, It was a great honour Great privilege down there it's Just at uh, Valentine Park there And at the Park League Many, many years ago It happened I can't even tell you what year it was so I think it was when I was playing So it's yeah. been out there for years And around some other great uh, You know, some other great legends of the game Who played out there And Part of New South Wales, so it's a great honour.
0: Yeah, how good was it to be on that open-top bus in Gosford after you won the championship with the Mariners? Yeah, it was
1: great. Yeah, no, that was it was fantastic because uh, we didn't, you know, we had to go straight after the grand final, and we had to go play a Champions League in South Korea, a game in South Korea, um, and I don't know how we won that, but we won. Yeah. we beat Suwon Blue Wings 1-0 and uh, 2 days after we played Sunday grand final uh, went back went after we won straight to the hotel at the airport flew out the next day played Suwon on the Tuesday come back on the Wednesday and for the Friday I think it was Thursday or the Friday was the um you know the parade and it was the and the celebrations by that time I thought you know most people in the central coast would have forgotten about it by then four or five days later but we had a great roll-up, and uh, it was probably one of the biggest things that's ever happened in the Central Coast. Central Coast, you know, the club and the Mariners has got a special place in my heart. For them, it's uh, such a fantastic club. I'd love to end up back there one day. And uh, great people on the coast, and uh, to give them something that was so special, and to help with those players, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah. On the you spoke before about the cope the football coaches that have influenced you some of the people outside the sport that have influenced you have you ever had someone that you've said that's my mentor that they're they're the the sage the person that i bounce ideas off or have you got one of those or more than one of those that you've used over the journey
1: um i know people probably think i'm just going to say this but ronnie smith has been a huge influence um you know when we were with the national team together under frank farina and goose hitting the conversations we would sit and have till 2 a.m in the morning talking about football (laughs) was crazy and we did that for years um and you know he's he's always he's taught me the what if scenarios and that's when i say that it's about plan a b and c and d of what happens if this happens in the game so he was one of the first ones to introduce me to that and you know so if ever i have any type of thing i'd like to talk about football ronnie's one of the first ones i pick up the phone to and and we you know it's never a 10 minute chat you know that no i do indeed uh two hours (laughs) um yeah so that uh here in australia probably uh, i still keep in touch with goose um quite often and uh you know if there's anything major to talk to about him with my career or anything then I'll, i'll speak to him but uh here in australia probably ronnie
0: yeah another wise man have you taken on the role of mentor? People like Phil Moss and, and Bimby at Sydney FC and Clarkie and uh, Vid, Viddy. Have uh, uh, they looked to you for uh, advice? You've obviously helped them on their journeys.
1: Yeah. Look, I, when you're actually doing it, you don't realise you're doing it. Mm. And, you know, showing leadership or support or, and, and when they ask you for advice, you're just giving your opinion back because of the experiences you've had in life and you know, and I always say that is that you know, not everything can be rosy all the time, especially in coaching. You learn every day, every day. And and you know, I had a great. Uh, I've sat uh, I spent a week at Manchester United with Sir Alex Ferguson, and, and Mourinho. I spent a couple of hours with him and, and Brendan Rodgers when he was at Celtic, and everyone says the same. Coaching's tough. Mm. It's a, it's it's a tough gig. And, you know, it normally only lasts at one club for two years and then you've got to move on. It's, it's not a lifetime job with a lot of people have in life. So to be able to, to mentor, look, I, it's more mateship, if anything, Kylie. You know yeah. that I have some coaches ring me up and ask me about their coaching career and what they should do next. I'm, I'm just here with the knowledge that I have to, to help. I would never tell anyone what decision you have to make Mm-hmm. it's more about you know talking through a few different experiences, but you know Phil was you know he's, he was he 's a great mate today he 's uh one of my best mates and he was a great assistant coach for me up at the mariners and you know and, and his love for football is 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 huge as well and and uh you know when you work with mates and and Clarkie and John Crawley and these guys it 's very, very easy to be. A so-called mentor, you're more of a friend yeah. and you're always here to to help them if you can as
0: a mate. Good on you, mate. Final one for the day. If you had one piece of wisdom you could share with coaches, what would it be?
1: Believe in yourself. It's tough. Coaching is it's not easy. Um, believe in your way and do it your way. And you know be flexible in the way you think but at the end of it enjoy every day every moment of it because it is tough it is a tough gig but when you enjoy it then it's not so tough it's 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 not a job it's it's a hobby
0: i love it I love it, mate. And and uh, I have to say that from the outside in, um, it looks like you, you're so... I, I can remember at the beginning of your career you sort of kicked every ball and headed every ball and wanting to wrestle in challenges from the side. And yeah. I think you still kick a few balls now and again on the touchline. But you, you, you really do look like you've settled in and, and understand who you are and really are enjoying it. So congratulations yeah, to you.
1: Yeah, as I said, it's uh, you learn in life and as you get more and more experience, then as a young coach, you're going to make mistakes. Don't beat yourself up when you make mistakes. because that's what a lot of coaches do. You know, it's, it's what you learn. If you make a mistake, learn from the mistake, move on straight away. And don't, as I said, don't beat yourself up because, you know, sometimes you can't control the weather. Sometimes you can't control a a send off. You know, it's, it's all different. But what you can control is, is your own behavior and, and and what you do and and how you manage people and that's the most important thing
0: great place to finish graham thanks very much it's been an honor and privilege to have you on today to share your coaching life and your your journey and your wisdom you've got that gray hair and the whiskers now so (laughs) plenty of wisdom around so i
1: forgot i forgot to mention that's the one last one last thing if you become a coach, you expect to lose
0: your hair. <laughs> <laughs> or, or go grey. Now I'm looking at one. <laughs> uh, really appreciate your time, Arnie. Um, good luck um, with the Olympics. Let's hope that happens and the Ollie Roos uh, with, with a terrific talent coming through now. Um, good luck. Um, We're qualifying for the next uh, FIFA World Cup. Um, two, two huge tasks. So our yeah. thoughts and prayers are with you, mate. Thanks very much. We're
1: well. Thanks very much and uh, great to see you, great to speak to you and uh, thanks for all your support uh, during my coaching. Thank you.
0: Good on you, Arnie. You've been listening to Graham Arnold on the Football Coaching Life podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the podcast professionals. If you've enjoyed today's podcast or you want to find out more information about Football Coaching Australia and how they can help you, please go to footballcoachingoz.org.au. Have a great day and enjoy your coaching.